Good morning. Let us go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to attend to the preaching of his word. Our great God in heaven, God, we come asking for your help today. Lord, we pray, God, that your word would be boldly proclaimed. And God, that any fallacy that comes from my mouth, Lord, would be hidden and forgotten immediately. God, we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified. God, we pray that you would see fit, God, to call unbelievers to yourself today uh, through the preached word of your, of your word. God, we are grateful to you, Lord, that we can come, God, and gather together under your word. And Lord, we pray uh, that your presence would indeed be upon us today. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And be seated. My wife says I clear my throat when I'm nervous, but pollen has a little bit to do with that today also, so please uh, bear with me. Today's text is in 1 Peter chapter 3, and the focus will be on 13 through 17, and you can see from your bulletin there that the title of the message today is Hope and suffering. And it's such a blessing to see how God uses his word to encourage us and prepare us. As uh, Pastor David a few weeks ago preached on prayer and suffering. And then last week, Julius preached on accounting it all joy when we fall into various trials. Uh, Those are things that lead to suffering. And then even this morning, our brother Kyle exhorted us from Psalm 56 on whom we should not fear. So it's just a great uh, reminder of God's kindness to us as we, as we come into uh, the preaching of his word. This morning, our, our focus passage is on 1 Peter chapter 3, 13 through 17. And, and anybody who has ever been in an apologetics course anywhere has heard this preached, I'm sure. Um, and, and many of us, even here this morning, have sat under our brother Bodie's teaching on this passage over and over, a text that he relies on heavily uh, in his training on apologetics. In fact, this passage is where the word apologetics comes from. It's where we get it. The Latin word apologia or apologia, depending on who you hear pronounce it, it's a formal defense of an opinion. It's a position or action. So it comes from the Greek phrase that's translated here in verse 15 to make a defense. Now, I will not be teaching a course this morning on apologetics, thankfully. (laughs) But it is useful to hear some of the things that our brother Bodie has has said about that. One of the things that is so clear in his teaching is, is his definition for apologetics. He says that apologetics is knowing what you believe, why you believe it, and communicating it effectively in a winsome way. I believe that we will see that very clearly in our text today, and using these principles, we will also see that this is not just a a passage of Scripture about evangelism or apologetics, but it's about suffering well in Christ. The the title in my my copy of the ESV is uh, Suffering for Righteousness' Sake. Now, this is the uninspired heading, but it, it translates well here. So if we turn to... 1 Peter chapter 3, 
We'll go ahead and start reading in verse 8 to set the stage for, for Peter's exhortation. 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And if we think about that through the, through the lens of suffering for righteousness' sake, first. Uh, Peter there in, in the first a few verses that I read tells us how we should live. He tells a Christian how they should live in the world and how they should live in community with one another. So this is kind of setting the stage for what he's getting into in verses 13 through 17. He speaks much about suffering in his epistle here, and we will uh, reference several of those places um, as well this morning as we study the text. But these people that he's writing to here, they were, by definition, suffering for righteousness' sake. I mean, if we turn back to, to chapter 1, verse 1, he says, to, the, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They were elect exiles. I mean, an, an exile is, by definition, suffering at some level. I mean, we don't know at what level, but suffering at some level, they're exiles. Now, growing up here in the United States, especially in the South, in the Bible Belt, most of us as Christians have been very insulated from suffering for righteousness' sake. We don't have to deal with a lot of the things that that our brothers in Cuba or our brothers in Canada even or or many other places have to deal with. But but more and more, even here, it's becoming prevalent. It's becoming obvious that suffering is to come for Christians. <clears throat> and I think we can see the patterns from our neighbors to the north. You know, who would have ever thought that, that pastors in Canada would be, would be jailed, would be imprisoned for preaching, for, just for meeting a ch- in a church and preaching? That, that laws would be written, written, making it illegal for pastors to speak the word of God, to call sin, sin. That, that's just to our northern border. And it's infiltrating our country as well. With the whole woke ideologies of our nations, it's not hard to imagine a time when we too are in the same boat here. So as we look at this passage, 
in 13 through 17. I hope this morning that we will see that for a Christian, suffering will happen. Suffering will happen. But we shouldn't fear those who cause suffering because the hope of the gospel will overcome that suffering. So that brings us to the first point this morning, that for a Christian, suffering will happen. And I'll read verse 13 again. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And we see that Peter is referring to those last, those last few verses because he's, he says, if we seek, if we're zealous for what is good. So if we're zealous for what is good, we're going to be living in the way that he has taught previously in this chapter. So that is, that is the first thing that we have to point out is that if we are indeed living for Christ, if we are indeed standing for what is right, we are likely to suffer for it. If we are indeed zealous for what is good, as Peter says here, Another thing that, that makes it evident that this passage is, is as much about suffering as it is about anything is because that statement on apologetics is sandwiched by suffering. Verses 13, 14, he says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake. Verse 16 says, when you are slandered. And verse 17 says, it is better to suffer for doing good. So we have to, to give a prominent place to the idea of suffering here as we study this word. We turn back to chapter 2 of Peter's epistle. Verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Notice there that he doesn't say if they speak of you as evildoers. He says when they speak of you as evildoers. Just like in James that we heard last week, he didn't say if you fall into trials. He said when you fall into trials. Because it's going to happen. We must be prepared for that. We must be we must be glad and rejoice in that, that we suffer for Christ's sake. We think back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What encouragement from our Christ. We will be persecuted and spoke evil against if you are indeed zealous for what is good. But our reward is great in heaven. Praise God that our reward is great in heaven. Many of these verses that, that we've looked at so far um, have talked about people speaking evil against us or persecuting us. And these are hard things, but not incredibly harmful. Does it hurt when someone makes fun of you for being a Christian? Temporarily, yeah. I mean, it's 
it stings a little. Or when someone asks you, or you tell somebody that you drive an hour and a half to go to church every Sunday, they look at you like you got a third eye. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, you know, sometimes discouraging, but it's not incredibly hurtful. <clears throat> or when we lose a promotion at work because we refuse to work on the Lord's Day, or, or young ones, if we lose a position on our sports team because we don't go to practice on Sunday. We missed practice. Well, we missed our spot this week. Those are things that that we do suffer on a regular basis, if you call that suffering. It is is not near what others in other parts of our world suffer. And it's not exactly what, what Peter is talking about here, but it's some of the things. Those are some of the things. Who would have ever thought that holding to Sabbath day worship would be contentious in evangelical circles. I mean, we have, we have churches that alter their, their church times so that people can have more time at home or they can um, you know, have Saturday evening services, sometimes even um, early Sunday morning services, so not to disrupt the, the activities of the day, the baseball tournament or the golf game or the whatever uh, takes you away from worshiping our God on the Lord's day. Who would have thought that would be a, a thing that we, would, that we would suffer for or be persecuted for? But it's happening. We're living in a time where biological males can compete in events with biological females whom God made males and who God made females. They can compete together because they identify as one. <laughs> and if we speak against that, what is the reaction? We get away with it in, in our circles here, but on the national scale, we don't. You're ridiculed for it. You're canceled for it in this cancel culture. It's amazing to me. It's just amazing to me when we think about that, and I, and I, and I don't want to dwell on it, but I think it's, a, it's an important happening in our time today and an important time that we understand that persecution for Christians is coming. When you, when you look at the pictures of William Thomas standing on the podium next to his two competitors, and he is literally head and shoulders taller, broader, stronger, longer-limbed than his female competitors, and we get persecuted for saying that's wrong? That's the world we live in. Folks, be prepared that we are going to be persecuted when we stand up for what is right. But it's important that we stand up for what is right. But even this, even that persecution, even that ridicule that we will receive from that, that's, that's small discomfort. That's only temporary discomfort. We read in Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. What, what conflict was that? Let's remember the context of, of the letter to Philippians. Paul was writing from prison. Paul was being persecuted. Paul was in chains because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was, he was in prison for preaching the gospel. That, that is the suffering that Peter is referring to here. Ask our brother Hotniel down in Cuba. 
what persecution feels like. That's not that far away from us. We pray for him regularly. We get the responses from him and the, and the reports from him regularly. Only because he is preaching God's word. Because he is preaching God's word is he being persecuted. He doesn't know if he's going to come home tonight or not. He may be in jail. He may be incarcerated for an unknown period of time for preaching God's word and for encouraging others to do the same as he teaches in his seminaries. Talk about a brother that is zealous for what is good. Or ask the Coptic Christians living in Egypt or a Christian living in any Islamic nation anywhere. Ask them what persecution feels like. It is happening today. People are losing their lives for the sake of Christ. They are suffering for righteousness' sake. We are, we are promised way more of suffering than we are of, of ease and comfort. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. I'll begin reading in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 10 and read through verse 22. Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, be, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be halted, hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Praise God, the one who endures to the end will be saved. These men were being sent out into an incredibly intense situation where people would hate them for the gospel's sake. And notice that, that Jesus didn't wonder if there would be hard times for them. He didn't tell them, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing you ever, this is going to be the most fun thing you've ever done. He didn't tell them that. He warned them, you will be dragged, he said, that when they deliver you over, brother will deliver brother. It is, it is when, it is, it is not if. You will be hated for my name's sake. We must remember that not one, not one of the apostles died free. Not one. The only apostle who even died of natural causes was in exile in Patmos. All the rest of them were, were martyred for the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ. Talk about zealous for what is good. Suffering for the sake of the gospel is a difficult thing. It is a challenge. But what a reward is received. The one who endures to the end will be saved. As we continue in 1 Peter 3 here, we see that in this suffering we are not to fear 
those who cause the suffering. And that brings us to our second point. Peter starts out this question with a, starts out this paragraph, I should say, with a really good question. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? And now, if anybody caught a glimpse of me right before I came up here, I was over there frantically writing down some notes as I was getting ready to come up here. Because as I stood there singing and praising the Lord, and that butterfly starts pounding in your chest, and, and, you, and the nervousness sets in, I was reminded of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says that Jesus did not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. We have to know the word so that we can combat this fear. But it was, a, it was a, just such a reassuring thing to be sitting there and having these thoughts, and then uh, the Holy Spirit reminding me of scriptures that calm our nerves, that help us in times of fear. We've already seen that we are likely to suffer at some point for the sake of righteousness, but what's the worst that can happen? We read in Matthew chapter 10 a minute ago, further on in that chapter in verse 28, Jesus said, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Is this easy? No, it's not easy. Can we just believe in Jesus and automatically have enough faith to live this out? Dear friends, we can't. But Christ tells us that if we are resting in him, we have nothing to fear. But we are still gripped by fear. Fear is a hard emotion to shake. Partly because it causes us to act unreasonably. Can, can you think of those times in your life where you were gripped by fear? One silly little example that I can think of is when I was a kid, my best friend was deathly afraid of spiders. I mean, like crazy afraid of spiders. And in, in his house, the, the kitchen looks out the back door, and there's a big patio, and there's a long hallway, tile floors that lead back to the bedrooms. So there's a little garden spider crawling down the window, and I just picked it up and was looking at it. And my buddy came up from beside me, and I turned around and I showed it to him. And when I did, his face turned white, and he turned, and he took off sprinting down the hall. Now, his little sister, who was, I don't know, six or seven at the time, had coming around the corner of his bedroom. And when he plowed her, it looked like a linebacker tackling the quarterback. It was fierce. And, and, I, and you're sitting there going, you, you just almost killed your sister because of a little garden spider? But that's how fear makes us react, is it not? I mean, that's a silly example, but, but that's how fear makes us react. We, we have to fight against that. We have all kinds of fears. We have all kinds of fears. Fears of silly things like spiders or snakes. Now, if you have those fears, you probably don't think they're silly. <laughs> but but the, the, new thing in, the, new, the new thing in the culture is FOMO, fear of missing out. That's a covetous thing. We're, we're scared that somebody's going to have something that we don't have. Or the fear of being made fun of. We all have that. Nobody, nobody enjoys being made fun of. Fear of suffering for righteousness' sake. If I say these things, 
if I, if I act in this way, we're going to be chastised by our culture. That is a fear. Now, a brother, Alistair Begg, if you don't listen to his preaching, I would commend him to you. I enjoy much his preaching. But in a sermon on this text, uh, Alistair Begg reminds us that even Peter, who, who is preaching this, who is, who is writing this uh, to these people, was gripped by fear. Remember the scene as, as Christ was led into the courtyard and Peter comes in behind him. He denied Christ three times. And why? Why? Well, partly we know that it was to fulfill prophecy that, that, Peter, that Jesus had told Peter. But the emotion of fear had gripped him, very likely. And, and you can imagine, right? So you're in the garden, and this multitude of, 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 the, of the army comes after you, your leader, and Peter picks a fight with them. He draws his sword and lops off the ear of, of one of the guards. And, and Jesus is like, no, nah, it's okay. But, but Peter had, had, done, had just done that. So when he is in the courtyard, you can imagine how the situation was, was very fearful, fearful for him. And then three times he gets the opportunity to claim Christ. And three times... He denies Christ. Can you imagine the emotion that gripped him when that rooster crowed? And what does it say? He went out and wept bitterly. Fear causes us to act in an inconsistent way with the Christian walk. But we can so relate to Peter because of his zeal, because even the man who denied Christ three times he was a hard charger. He was a get-or-done kind of guy. He was the guy that, that was act first and then think about it. I can relate. As confident as Peter was, in that instance, he was given over to fear. We know that he overcame that. We know that, that he continued to serve our Lord and that he was eventually martyred for his faith. He was... He was crucified upside down on a cross because he refused to be crucified in the same way as our Savior because he says he was not worthy. In verse 14 of 1 Peter 3, the word says, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. This is an allusion here to Isaiah chapter 8. If we turn to Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11 through 14. It says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of his people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that his people cause conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. And let him be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. 
John Piper points out from this text in, in Isaiah that what God wants here from Isaiah is for the prospect of offending God to be a more dreadful thing than to him than the prospect of being persecuted by men. A similar, a similar verse to, to what we read earlier, Matthew 10, 28. Don't fear men, but fear God. Have that reverence of God. So then what is the remedy for fear? Where, where, do, we, where do we turn for that? Verse 15 says, but in your hearts, in our, in our text in 1 Peter, verse 15 says, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy. Now we could also say that as we honor the Christ the Lord is holy, that we are to reverence Christ. We are to put, put God on the pedestal that he deserves to be on, that we, do, we are to understand his holiness. And, and there's thousands of places that we can look in the Bible, but a few that come to mind is Proverbs 9.10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord, that reverence of God, is the beginning of wisdom. And when we fear the unknown, that wisdom that we know from, from the fear of God will comfort us. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14 it says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. In, to, in order to overcome our propensity to fear and the consequences of suffering in the flesh, we must reverence the Lord. We must have that holy, reverent fear of our God. And, and what Piper said, that we are way more concerned about, about our relationship with God and offending Him than we are about offending man. Psalm 119, 10 and 11 says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. The word of God, the teaching of Jesus Christ, is our remedy for fear. That is where we can turn. That is where we look. If we don't have that, we have no comfort. We can see that, that suffering will happen and that we should not fear men. We should not fear those who caused the suffering. And our third point this morning is that hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ will overcome suffering. And we have not yet addressed the second half of verse 15 and 16 here in our text in 1 Peter 3. It says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Always being pre prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So first, 
we must answer, what is the hope that is in us? What is our hope? For that, I will turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and I will read, I'm going to read quite a bit of this passage, start in verse 18 through the end. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from this bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. Praise God. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that we are to know in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm reminded of the illustration that our brother Julius used last week of the beam scale. When we think about the troubles and the tribulations and the trials and the sufferings and the persecutions, and it comes on this side of the, of the scale and it becomes tipping in that direction. But then we turn and we see the promises of God, the everlasting the eternal promises, when they hit that scale, there's nothing that we can pile on the other side that can tip that. There's nothing that we can pile on it. 
God's promises, the hope that, he ha- that we have in him, cannot be tipped by the cares of this world. The promises that we see here in, in this chapter of Romans are so great, so precious. Waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In this hope we are saved. And then in verse 28, one that we use regularly, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. When we are suffering, when we are persecuted, we know that the Lord is using that for good if we love him. If we are zealous for what is good, as Peter tells us, we know that that is where our hope is found. And hallelujah, if God be for us, who then could be against us? And then in verses 38 and 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that the hope that is in you? If it's not, I pray that it will be. If we are to make a defense to anyone who asks, we must know this hope. We must have this hope. If we are to overcome the sufferings of this world, if we are to overcome the sufferings for the righteousness sake, we must know this hope. And we must be able to communicate this hope. Remember, Pastor Bodie's definition of apologetics, knowing what you believe, why you believe it, and communicating it effectively and in a winsome way. We can't miss that last qualifier there in verse 15 of our text in 1 Peter 3. It says, doing it with gentleness and respect. Now, when I think of this verse standing on its own, and we read that we are to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within us with gentleness and respect, that's not hard. That's not hard. Daily life in in an evangelical standpoint, just preaching on the street or in in a classroom or on 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 the pulpit on a Sunday morning. But when we think about it in the context that Peter is writing here, in the suffering that we are to endure as Christians, can we do this with gentleness and respect? Can we deliver the message? Can we communicate in a winsome way, as, as Pastor Bodie says? Or do we get brash and defensive? Ashamedly, I would say that more times than not, I'm brash and defensive when someone challenges me on what I believe and why. But we are to do it with gentleness and respect. Verse 16 says, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Good news, we know who wins. Those who revile us will be put to shame. Will we see it? Maybe, maybe not. But they will. God promises us they will. We can rest assured in that hope. 
verse 18 is, is kind of the capstone for us here. It's not really in our text today, but it kind of wraps it all up really nicely for us. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, made alive in the Spirit. The hope of the gospel will overcome suffering, my friends. We know we will suffer. Peter tells us throughout the epistle. In chapter 4, verse 19, he says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Praise God. We don't have to fear those things who cause those people, those, those things in life that cause suffering. We don't have to fear those. Because we have the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would ask you this morning as we come to a close, do you know this hope? Do you have this hope in you? Have you repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you haven't, if you haven't, beg the the God of the universe, our Lord, to save your soul to grant you true faith and repentance. That is the only hope that we have in this world, and it will overcome all of our suffering. Let's pray. Our holy and majestic God, Lord, we are in awe of you. God, we are so grateful to you, Lord, that that you have overcome death and the grave, and God, that you are seated at the right hand of your Father, God, we are grateful to you, Lord, that you have granted us faith and repentance, that you have granted us the encouragement from your word today. God, we pray, Lord, that you would fulfill the promises that you make in your word, that that your word will not return void. God, we trust that it will not. God, we pray, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation for lost souls among us. And we pray this. Precious name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.